that? Oh, I heard my name. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Okay, there were scattered responses there. That's fine. So, uh, I was, my plan today was to make a joke about the Packers just because they've kind of been funny to watch. Uh, and so I was going to go to their website to check out just information about their stats, maybe see if anything had happened that would be especially easy to point out as a joke. Uh, but when I tried, I saw that their website had been taken down because the team felt that it was giving fans unreasonable expectations since you had to type three W's to get to it. There you go. Long way around, but we got there. Okay. Thanks. I worked on that real hard yesterday. <laughs> so we are, we are ending the series Invested today. A and I have loved this series because it means so much, not, not just to me, not just to you, but to our church, because we are talking about the past and, and about the history and things that we can learn from. We're, we talked last week about the present and things that we are doing, things that we can do. And now this week, we're going to wrap it up with the future and things that we must do, things that, that we have to look to to build a future, to, to, to move into the future, to help people see a brighter future. And so I want to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. Um, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This opens with Paul pleading, and in some versions it says beseeching. And basically, he knows that we have free will. And all of us have free will. That was a gift of God. Uh, some would say a curse in some ways, but it's a gift because we're able to choose him. We're able to choose to love. We're able to choose to be better, to grow, to do all of these things. And so Paul is coming out with, with the pleading, with the beseeching, because he knows what it was like to choose the wrong path. He knows what it was like to live the wrong way. And, and I know that while he was forgiven, and he knows he was forgiven, he still carried some of that. There were still consequences of that. And so he's saying, guys... Everybody, you have to, to, to be different. You have to be a living sacrifice. And look at all of the mercies God has given you. Think about those. And, and think about that. Think about the mercies of God, the, the love of God, the, the fact that he gave his son to die for us, to give us the chance at grace, to give us the chance at salvation, to give us the choice to have a, a perfect future, to have a better life, to be here. The mercies where he created the world for us and built it around giving us a home, giving us a, a chance to live, giving us a chance to be together, uh, the, the mercies of, of building and creating a community like a church for all of us to find homes in, for all of us to find ways to live, for all of us to find ways to grow together. Just all of the mercies. And, and we could go individually. I could grab this microphone that's sitting here and I could go person by person. Not everybody would like that. And I could say, tell me some of the mercies of God that you've witnessed in your life. And there would be countless. Because all he does is do good. All he does is love. All he does is help. All he does is provide hope, provide mercy. And so Paul is saying, look at that. Think about that. Think about the good. Think about the things that can happen. Think about his mercy. And then he goes on to talk about being a living sacrifice. And so in his day, sacrifice was different. And, and Jesus had been the, the ultimate sacrifice. But before that... 
uh, people would sacrifice animals and and then Jesus obviously was the sacrifice, the lamb, uh, the, the blood poured out for our sins. And so Paul takes it to living sacrifice. And so he said, look at what Jesus just did for you. Look at this. Think about this. Think about the mercy of God. And then sacrifice yourself every day. Go to the altar with yourself every day. And he uses the word body. And that stands for the entire being, which means not just your physical body, but your mind, your, your heart, your soul, everything you are is to be a living sacrifice for him every day. It's to go to him every day. And if you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so before next week, read both of those, and uh, the, standard, the standard for sacrifices in the Old Testament and the New Testament stays the same. The intent of the sacrifice has to be for God. It's the best that you can give. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain didn't give the best. Didn't work out well. And so it's to be the best that you can give. And it talks about the sacrifice being holy and providing an aroma that, that, that is pleasant to God. And so in order for the sacrifice to be holy, that's something God makes of our life once we sacrifice, once we start doing that, once we start living that. And he goes on to say, don't copy the world. And a lot of times we look at that and we think, well, yeah, that means don't sin. Well, yeah. That's pretty clear in the Bible. But it also means don't copy the way the world does things. That means don't copy the way the world talks to each other, the way it treats each other, the way it posts, the way it texts, the, the way it thinks. Don't copy the way the world finds identity in things like political parties and puts that first, or, or the, your job. Or a relationship, all of those things that the world would say, hey, put this first. This is who you are. This is where you stand. This is what you're supposed to define yourself by. Paul says, don't copy that. Because you're defined as being a living sacrifice of Jesus. You're defined as being a Christian. You're defined as being a child of God. And the other stuff, that can come. We can, do, we can have roles in that. But we're not to be like the world. We're to be like him. We're to live like him. We're to show people what this is supposed to look like. And that comes from being transformed. Because we cannot do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. We need him. More mercies of him. More grace of him. And he continues to pour them out. And it says, once you are transformed, then you will learn his will for your life. Now that's another thing. I'm going to go back to the previous series we had, which was upside down. That's very upside down from the way the world would say. Because in the world... We don't really act until we learn what we're supposed to do, until we learn what it's going to be like, until we, we learn. Like if you have a job interview, you don't just go in and say, hey, I accept it before you know what the job is. At least I hope you don't. Maybe some of you do. If so, I need somebody to clean my house. So, but we don't do that. And so when Paul says, hey, you become transformed, you start acting, you start living as a living sacrifice, and then you'll learn his will. That's crazy, and that's kind of hard for us sometimes. But the things we do know are that the will for our lives, for all of our lives, once we are transformed, is pleasing, which means good. And it's perfect, which means perfect. And that it's designed for us, that it has us in mind, that when God created the world, he knew that everyone in this church would be here. And he knew all of us, and he knew our hopes, and he knew our dreams, and he knew everything already because he's perfect, and he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. 
And so the will was designed for us, and yet we still get to choose. It doesn't change his will, it doesn't change his plan, but we choose what we do with our lives. And so Paul is beseeching us to be transformed and to choose him and to live for him, to be like him. I have a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but living sacrifices whose lot is to be consumed. It is our duty because we're called to do it. Jesus over and over again said, this is my command, love one another. This is my command, love God, love others. Be like me, serve me, be the light, the salt in the world. He said these things. He told us how to live. And so we've been called to do that. That's our duty. But man, it's our privilege too. Because there is nothing else better. And it can be hard sometimes. It can. It can be hard. And we can be hurting. And we can, we, like last week we talked about, sometimes you don't see the fruits of your labors. And sometimes it feels like nobody listens. And sometimes it feels like everything goes wrong. And sometimes it feels like things are crashing down. But it is still better than anything else because he is always there to pick up the pieces, to build us back up, to help us learn from our mistakes, to learn from our problems, to learn from hurt. He is the God of the brokenhearted. He is the God of healing. And so it's our privilege to serve him. It's our privilege to point others to him. It's our privilege because that's who we are. Individually, as a church, that's who we are. That's why we're here. All of the other stuff we do, that's cool. Going to work, good. You know, having kids, having families, having friendships, buying me new cars, all of these things are good. Slip that one in. All of these things are good. But it starts with the fact that we are living for him. It starts with the fact that we are privileged to identify ourselves with him, for him. And to be a living sacrifice, that's not easy. In fact, sacrifice means sacrifice which is not easy. It's difficult. It's pouring ourselves out over and over and over again. It's hurting. But to be a living specimen is way worse. To be preserved, to never change, to never grow, to never help, to never love, to never move outside. I saw that they're making another uh, remake of A Christmas Carol, and it's a comedy version, and it's a different way. But I think of Ebenezer Scrooge as a wonderful example of a living specimen. He was very successful in life. Incredibly successful. He was super rich. And he had a nice house. He had servants. He had people that worked for him. He pretty much could make his own schedule. But he was so miserable. He was so miserable because he had built himself up to this certain point and then just stopped. And so he was preserved as a living specimen. And then you have Bob Cratchit, and I'm not going to redo the whole Christmas carol here, but hopefully you know it, who was one of his workers, and he was poor. He had a kid who was dying. He, had, he struggled to, to feed his family. But his priorities were so much better. And you remember from the book or the movie or the Muppets movie, however you watched it, I used to watch the Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol every year with my great-grandma. 
And so, obviously, Scrooge McDuck was Uncle Scrooge. But, and you can just see, I can see this scene in my head of Scrooge with the ghost of Christmas present watching the Cratchits celebrate Christmas and just wondering, why are they so happy? And it goes to the Grinch, and why are they still singing? And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice versus a living specimen. This is the call for us. This is the call for our church. This is the call for all churches to be living sacrifices, to, to grow, to look to help, to look to, to, to just be better every single day, to constantly look for ways to help, to constantly look for ways to grow, to constantly look for ways to love, to constantly look for ways to sacrifice ourselves, to show Jesus to a world that has no idea who he is. Going to verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a specific function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve, him well, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So Paul starts with saying, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Uh, I know once a year here, we have to do an evaluation of our work efforts and just how we're doing ministry and all of these things. And I think most places of work do something along those lines. And then also, if you're looking for a new job or whenever you fill out a resume, like you kind of put the best things forward. And I know that there are always stories of somebody who's like, oh yeah, I know Mandarin. And then you get the job and you don't know Mandarin and all of a sudden you're in China and you have no idea what people are saying. That's not a personal story, don't worry. But we have to be honest of our valuation in ourselves. Now, he's not saying think less of yourself. He's not saying, hey, everybody else is better than you. But he's definitely not saying, hey, you're better than everybody else. We have chosen to be here. We have chosen to follow Christ, and that is a wonderful choice. It's the only choice. But most of us grew up in the church or grew up with Christian families. We grew up knowing that this was the right way, or or something happened in our lives that pointed us to the right way. Regardless, God helped us to see the right choice. He helped our lives to be in a place where we could accept this choice. That doesn't make us better than anyone else. Maybe our choices can be better, but it doesn't make us better. And and it doesn't make you worse than someone who has grown up in the church, who is a pastor, who, who has everything, like Billy Graham, somebody like that. We are all in this together. We all are are, are serving him. We're all servants of him. So not better, not worse, but willing and ready to grow. Now, I think that all of us would think, okay, well, I try not to do that anyway. Like, I try to, to be honest of myself, and I try not to look down on people, and that's the way I believe we all are. But it's easy sometimes to look out at the world and just shake your head. Just shake your head at some of the things you see, to shake your head at some of the things you, you hear, to shake your head at some of the stories and some of the things that happen. 
not to feel better necessarily, but to sometimes fall in that trap of, man, they're worse. They're just worse. And that is the start of a slippery slope. And it's that feeling that sometimes causes us to slip. And it sometimes causes us to forget that we are here to look for the lost, to help the lost, to call out to the lost, to be a beacon to the lost. We forget sometimes that we are called to be an example. We are called to to, to be different, to show people a different way. And all of this is measured by God's standard. It's by faith, which is a gift from God. The simple fact that we have faith is a gift from God. And so we can't feel pride in that. Because all we do is accept it. All we do is live it. He does all the hard work. It's like I've said a few times, when he calls us to love, he gives us the ability to love. When he calls us to faith, he gives us the ability to have faith. He does everything for us. And then calls us to just be his example. And then this scripture, this passage here, carries straight through to a blueprint for the church, the capital C church. And it's so beautiful and it's so cool. There are lots of members. Lots of people that come to church. Lots of people watching online. Lots of people who who feel for the church, who are a part of the church. And so there is lots of working and lots of moving parts. If Jason and Dan decided right now, you know what, I want to get out of here early for the the Bengals game or the Cowboys game, and they just shut everything down, well, I'm going to keep talking, but nobody's going to hear me, because I preach at home to Stevie, and she deals with it. All of us are working towards the same purpose, and all of us are equal in our abilities to serve him. Sometimes I think we sit there, or or I know that I did, and we think, man, I can only do this. I can't do this, so I, I just, I don't matter. No, you do matter. All of this works together because he designed it that way. He designed us to be the parts of the body. He he designed us to work together. He designed us to be individuals with our own ideas. But because we have our own ideas, we have our own opinions, and we have our own feelings, and we have our own thoughts, and sometimes we get hurt. And sometimes we disagree, and sometimes we wonder what's going to happen, and sometimes we don't know what's going on, and sometimes it just really, really hurt. And sometimes it's hard to feel unified together. But here's the deal. We aren't unified to each other. We are unified to him. Because he is our savior. He is our God. He is our everything. And he is who we serve. He is why we are here. He is who built the church. And he is who gives us common ground. And it says each of us has different gifts. And that's due to the grace given. I have no idea why some people are amazing singers. And why some people can't carry a tune. And I just picked on both of them, but I'm sure Leo can sing wonderfully. But no, why some people are amazing singers and why some people can't. And why some people are great at business and some people have really bad stocks. And why some people, I don't know why each, but I know that God does. And that's enough for me. Spiritual gift, we've heard that phrase before, but in the Greek it actually is charismata, which is literally a gift of grace, which means literally God gave us these abilities. He gave us the ability to choose to use them. And so it mentions encouragement. 
and it mentions teaching, and it mentions giving. And I think sometimes we look at that and be like, oh, well, my gift's not giving or encouragement, so I don't have to do any of that. No, no, no. There are some things that we all do. We all love, we all encourage, we all give. But there are some things that are such specialties. Such specialties. And it's so amazing when you see them being used. Like Kelly leading music, like Sean leading music. It's so amazing to see those gifts come to fruition. And that helps other people. And it helps us to look for our own gifts. And it helps us to help other people look for their own gifts. But the church, the capital C church, is designed to serve him. To be his light, to be his hands and feet. We get used to things, though. We get used to things. I know growing up, my great-grandparents, I've mentioned them once or twice, uh, from the moment that they had me, they had me in church every single day that it was open. And every single Sunday morning, we would walk in at the exact same time, and we would go to the middle section, which we don't really have one, and fourth row from the back, we'd sit down right on the edge every single Sunday. Everybody in the church knew that was my great-grandmother's seat. They could have put a plaque on it. Everybody knew that. It's not bad, but sometimes we get so caught up in that. Now imagine if you have a seat, or imagine if you have a favorite song, or imagine if you are a Packers fan, whatever it is. And that goes different in a service. Well, boom, maybe you're out of it for the whole time. So we can't get caught up in things like that. It doesn't mean don't care, but... This church is to be our gas station. Cheaper, but our gas station. Which means that we come here to refuel. We come here to fill up. We come here to see other people, cars, that also need refueling. And we realize, hey, we're fighting the same fight. We're living the same life. We have common ground. We have him. It's to be our home. The reason I'm standing here, there's a lot of things. But a big portion of it was because my great-grandmother, instilled in me the feeling that church was my home. It's where I felt safe. It's where I felt comfortable. It's where I felt good. Good. That's what this is. That's what it can be. I have a quote about church. The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. I'm going to reread that. The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. This does not mean that we can't be counseled. It doesn't mean we can't be ministered to. It doesn't mean we can't taught, be taught. It doesn't mean we can't be helped. But it means that everything in here, all of the refueling, all of the teaching, all of the helping, all of the worship, all of the love, is to prepare us to take it out there. To be home here. And then to go out there like Abraham and bring the word, bring the life, bring the example, bring the church. And there have been times throughout history where the capital C church has forgotten that. There are times in the present where sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes it's really sad and sometimes we're really pained or worried or unsure. But just a little bit ago, we saw several third graders receive Bibles. Now, Kelly could have done this where she stood there and had them bring her Bibles. That'd be kind of weird. 
but it's about building for the future. That's why she gave them the Bibles, because she's preparing them the future, for the future. The reason that I go a four-hour round trip every single week to see Beatrice, my niece, mentioned her once or twice, is because I love her, yes, but because I want to prepare her for the future. I want her to feel confidence, to feel independence, to feel loved. And so we are preparing others for the future. But we also must prepare the future for them. Which means we have work to do. and We have to be better. and We have to grow. And we have to do a lot. The church, again, the capital C church, us, whoever you want to think of, learns from the past. We take heart from the history, from the amazing people that have gone before us. We saw the video a couple weeks ago of just all of the people who poured heart and soul into this place. And we know other people throughout history, like I've mentioned C.S. Lewis and Mr. Rogers. People who have just poured their hearts out for Christ, for the capital C Church. And so we take heart from that, we learn from that. We exist in the present to grow, to help, to love, to build, to plant seeds. But for the future, we have to take this and focus on helping the lost. Focus on being the light. Focus on loving everyone. Focus on being the example. I remind you of something I said in the Abraham sermon a couple weeks ago. The only plot of land he owned was where he was buried. He was promised the new land, but it was for his descendants. He was building for them. We are building for others. Again, it does not mean that we can't take heart here because we can. It does not mean we can't be ministering to here because we can but it means that we are learning and growing and taking it out there to help others, to show others. I've said this before, I'll probably say it again. Out there, we may be the only example of Jesus someone sees in their life. Now, we aren't perfect, so we may mess up. But we have to keep that in mind as we go towards the future, as we grow, as we do better, as we live for him. Verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Essentially, he starts by saying love without hypocrisy. If you say you love someone, love them. It's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes because sometimes all of us can be jerks. We can wake up on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of the road, on the wrong side of bed. (laughs) It's been a long day. On the wrong side of bed. I know personally, Kelly mentioned snow a few times, I hate snow so much. And so I'm in a little bit of a bad mood when it's snowing. And I know everybody here is just aching as soon as I go out there after service, be like, hey, snow's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful when it's not on the roads, but it's on the roads all the time. And it, that's right, I sleep on it, that's correct. It makes it hard to sleep on the road. 
But we are commanded to love without hypocrisy, to truly love. Think about the way that Jesus was treated. Like, really think about it. I'm not just talking at the crucifixion. I'm not just talking when he was beaten almost to death before that. I'm talking every day of his life. Think about the way he was treated. The Pharisees literally followed him around to just shout out insults. Other people would be like, I don't care what you're saying. And other people would be meaner. And other people would be scared of him. One time he, he exorcised a demon and then the crowd like, like, hey, go away. That's scary. Just imagine how he was treated. And yet he did nothing but show love. Real love, genuine love, true love, overwhelming love. And it tells us how a little bit. It's like be kindly affectionate, honor each other, learn about each other, understand each other, care about each other. And then it mentions confident hope. And I think sometimes that's hard. I think especially in today's world, and I'm not just talking about the way the world is, but in the way the internet and news and social media is 24-7. Growing up as a kid, dinosaurs and cavemen and all that stuff. I was really old. That was the joke. I didn't know what was happening in, say, Iowa on a Tuesday morning at 3 o'clock. In fact, I didn't super care because I was a kid. Now, the second anything happens anywhere, we know it. And so we're bogged down by it, and we're worried about it, and we're fearful of it, and it takes away our hope. But it cannot take away God. It cannot take away the confident hope in him. We have confident hope in him, in his ability, in his control, in who he is, in who he can make us. And I will say this. Sometimes we think about how difficult it can be to be a Christian, to go to church. But the church started in basements, in secret places, because it was illegal and you died for going. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be hopeful for. We have a lot to to look at, to think about, to care about. And so we rejoice in hope, not in results. Results are important, like we talked about last week, but we rejoice in hope, in trying, in effort, in doing what we can for him, in living for him, in focusing on him. And it mentions being patient in tribulation, because there will be that. I would love to say, if you do this stuff, if you become a living sacrifice, if you transform, if you truly become better each day and we just come together and we do awesome things, then nothing bad's ever going to happen. I can't say that. Because it is. There will be tribulation, but it says be patient because there's always after. He is always there to help us grow, to help us learn, to help us live, to help us be better. And there will be persecution, there will be pain, there will be mocking, there will be heartbreak. But none of that can compare to living for him. Doesn't mean we don't feel it, because we do. But it means that he rises above it and lifts us up and helps us heal and helps us grow and helps us be better and helps us be transformed. And part of being transformed is seeking peace. It's seeking to to not be the problem, so to speak. In youth, last month, we talked about conflict, conflict in relationships and conflict in family and conflict in friendships and all that stuff. And over and over and over again, it kind of came up, well, our role is to just not be the problem. Like, we have to rise above it, and that's hard. It's hard to always be the bigger person. But we have God helping us to do that. 
We have Jesus' example showing us how to do that, and he's with us. And so we do that, we start to do that by being happy with those who are happy. By being sad with those who are sad. Doesn't mean ignore your feelings, don't ignore your feelings. But imagine that you're so excited about getting a new motorcycle. Peter Lynn, let's say, gets a new motorcycle. And he's so excited. He's just thrilled. And then, all of a sudden, Brandon comes up. And he's like, oh yeah? Well, I got two new motorcycles. He's not being happy with Peter. He's trying to show him up. None of that happened, just so you know. Be happy with those who are happy. Again, don't ignore your feelings. doesn't mean you don't have to be sad when you're sad. But be there with people. When someone's sad, be sad with them. Don't be like, hey, smile. Be sad with them. Help them. Feel them. What that's saying. What that's saying is have empathy. Not sympathy, but empathy. Feel what they feel. Why do they feel it? Understand them. It doesn't mean agree with them. It means understand them. Know them. Do what you can to show them who you can be. Find comfort in helping others. Be loving. I have one more quote. This is an Amish proverb. Instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place. When I was in college, I was a minor in political science. And I actually worked for the government for a little while. And I actually considered going into politics. All of these things are things you don't know. But as I did that, I was still going to church. And then social media happened. And the internet happened. And I started seeing some church people say some things that were just like things political people were saying. I'm talking angry and hateful and judgy. And it hurt. And so now I'm to the point where I used to really love politics. Granted, it's worse now, but I, to the point where whenever an election is coming up, I just turn off social media. Not because of the world, though. Because I see people who I respect, people who are Christians from around the world, look just like everybody else. And it hurts. I know it hurts you. I know that it's just hard to see. And I know that we can get caught up into it. And it's because we know that we have him. We know we have the right way. And so we can get so excited with, hey, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. But then we get caught up in, I'm going to prove that I'm right more than I'm going to help you. We want to put people in their place. Again, I say, putting yourself in their place does not mean that you agree with everyone. It doesn't mean that everyone's truth is truth. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you are being like Jesus. It means that you are showing him, that you are understanding, that you are having empathy, that that you are being better. Not best friends, but but feeling what other people feel. Not hiding your your, your opinion, not hiding your truth, but, but sharing it in such a way that you're showing Jesus in it. Not to convince other people, but to share your heart, to share who you are. And knowing that, there's one more scripture, and this is a guarantee. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. 
to give you a future and a hope. In other versions, plans for good. I don't know the future. You don't know the future. All of us sit and worry about it. We do. Here's what we do know. He has a plan. And he can transform us if we allow him. And then we have a future. And then we have a hope. I mentioned politics. Well, throughout my life, and I've talked about my fear of public speaking. Never, until I started doing it, did I think I'm going to be standing here. And I remember the first week that, that Landon, the youth pastor at Seymour at the time when I was helping, handed out this form of, of hey, what do you want to do? And God took over my hand because it's like anything that's needed. And he absolutely used that. And I started teaching, and I was terrified, but I turned down preaching. And here I am, hoping to preach. It's crazy. I didn't know the future. God did. I just did my best to give myself to him, and he built this. And now... I can look back, I can see all the things that I thought and all the things that I fell and all the things that I hurt along the way that led me to here. And I'm like, oh, wow, God knows what he's doing. That's our future. That's our hope. It's in him. It's through him. We are his church. And we are his followers. We are his children. We are his family. And together, we can help each other to be living sacrifices, to be better, to be like him more and more every day. That's all I got.